Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, good morning, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood, and today I'm joined by Lydia Lee. She's the very inspirational owner of Screw the Cubicle, screwthecubicle.com. She's also the host of the Cubicle Crashing Podcast. She's a cubicle crashing ninja who has created online courses uh, to help people start freedom businesses. She's also the moderator of a private group called the Unconventionalists. She's someone who's really dedicated to helping people to get out of a rut and discover more purpose, more passion in their life. We're really aligned with our interests and our goals, so I'm really excited for this interview. She's also the head instructor of Nine to Thrive, the author of the book Epic Imprint. She's been featured on CNN, Philippines, The Telegraph, and Business Heroine Magazine. And I could go on and on. She's got quite the bio here, but I want to let her get into it. Uh, Before that, I I just want to talk a little bit about her story, her backstory. Um, She was a success on paper. She had a high-power marketing job in Canada. She was earning close to six figures and able to travel. She had money, prestige, everything she thought she wanted. But she was on a business trip in Moscow one time, and she had a breakdown. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But basically what she realized is that you are going to die And is this really the way that I want to be spending the next uh, 30, 40, 50 years of my life? So we're going to talk about that breakdown and how she's uh, kind of turned things around to where she's really inspiring people around the world and created this lifestyle business, which uh, is not maybe not the lifestyle business that you would think that you would uh, assume if you read the four hour work week. But it's a really interesting and unique take that she's brought to this topic. So I'm really excited to have her on the show. And Lydia, I think that intro was about two minutes long, but Thank you for being patient, and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Danny. You really did a great job of talking me up, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not done yet. So you're actually joining us today from your home in a paddy in Bali, surrounded by roosters and ducks, and you have a really strong yes. internet connection. I'm really surprised by that. I know. I'm usually surprised, too, when I can get online. <laughs> no, that's, I'm just kidding. Um, yes, we, we, I am in my home right now in my little cottage villa in the middle of the paddy fields in Ubud in Bali. But uh, as I said before the call, um, I usually work out of Hubud, which is a co-working space here. Uh, so uh, today I felt like kind of being in my pajamas while I talk to you. It's morning time for me uh, right now. So uh, I'm glad we're on very similar time zones. Yeah, just an hour apart, I think. And yes. How did you end up in, in Bali? Did you manifest this? Was this like uh, a vision you've had? Is it something you've been working on to get to this point where you are now? Well, Bali wasn't planned, to be quite honest with you. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've been living in Bali for about two and a half years, if you can believe it. Time has really flown by for me. Uh, originally, when I left Vancouver in Canada, where, where I'm from originally, uh, the only plan I had was to travel and try to kind of spy on little uh, spots that I could potentially live in for the next six months. Uh, so my plan was really just to uh, travel and work from, let's say, one country every two months. 
you know, for the next six months. And Ubud was kind of on the map for me uh, as I've never been there. I've, I've heard about the Ubud co-working space and a few people are recommended uh, to go there because at that time I was writing um, that epic imprint book that you spoke about. So I needed a place to kind of be quiet, have good food, do a bit of yoga. Uh, so Ubud became kind of the second stop for Cambodia uh, in my six-month trip. And then when I got here, um, I ended up extending my visa and just... I just loved it here. I just it was it was everything that felt like home for me. Uh, so it became my base, right, right? For the last two and a half years, I still travel. I'm usually out of the country every two months or so, uh, traveling around Asia. Um, but Ubud is where I call you know my home right now. What is it about Ubud that uh, made it feel like home to you, and that made you wanted to stay? I'm speaking. Made you want to stay? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's the lifestyle. I. I I am, I think, a small town girl. <laughs> you know, I grew up, uh, I was born in Malaysia. I grew up in, a, in an island called Penang. Uh, so, and I moved to Canada when I was about eight years old in the city. And even though I do love the city, I think my, my majority of, of, you know, the times that I've ever been, been happy was always visiting small towns, you know, small, more rural areas. Um, so Ubud kind of gives me that feeling. It's, it's right in the middle of Bali. It's accessible and, uh, but quiet. And, you know, it's, it's a very ceremonial place uh, is the Hindu uh, religion here in the, in the island. And so it, it just gives me the sense of peace by living here because of the culture. Uh, but, this, but one of the other most important reasons of why I'm here is also because of the community of other people just like me. You know, so I'm a huge believer in um, your success being uh, based on also who you're hanging out with and who's influencing you on a day-to-day basis. And the community of expats and uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs and startups that kind of flock to Ubud and stay here um, has been who I call my friends these days. And so that's also been part of the reason why I've been really attracted to this little town, uh, not just for the lifestyle, but really is also helping me grow my business, grow myself as a human uh, by being around people that are on similar paths that I am. Okay, so take me back a little bit uh, to the start. When was the moment uh, when you realized that your life had to change? I, I touched on it a little bit, but it was, mm-hmm. I think you called it the day, or you, you had an emotional breakdown. Yeah, uh, what, pretty much I lost my shit. Lost, <laughs> lost your shit, okay, that was the terminology I was looking for. I, I need yeah. to be careful about swearing, though. I, I, okay, okay. Uh, but <laughs> no, I just, I, I just I got an back. email, I just got an email, or someone wrote me a one-star review for a book because uh, there was a swear word in it or something. And so I'm I'm trying to damper it down. I'm going to have someone to talk about that later on too. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And it wasn't even, I didn't even write the chapter where it appeared. Like it was -hmm. was a guest contribution and uh, someone actually wrote to me this morning to say, I would edit out the F-bombs. Really? Yeah. They they don't want to read my work then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone here, but uh, tell me about that moment when you you lost your shit. Like, uh, why did this happen? I mean, you seemed like you had everything you wanted. Yeah, totally. I mean, on paper, my life was going exactly the way that I have been working hard for, uh, for, for the longest time, right? So it's kind of the traditional path that what we all know, uh, which is, you know, graduate from high school, go to university, get a degree, get a job in that degree, work your way up the corporate ladder and, you know, away we go, right? The same cycle. And I did all that. I was, I I have always been very hardworking coming from, um, you know, a very immigrant parent mentality where my parents, you know, 
sacrificed a lot in their life to bring me to Canada. So it was almost this uh, thing that I had to give back in some way, you know, go to school and, and make something of myself uh, to prove that, you know, their sacrifices were worthwhile. So I did that. I, I, you know, I did all the internships. I worked my way up in several industries and ended up my last corporate job paid me, you know, $120,000, which is a lot of money, you know, and, and, and six figures was almost like this milestone that I wanted to make and, and needed to make for such a long time. But when I got to that number, uh, what I felt that number would have bought me, which is joy and happiness and fulfillment, let's say, the feelings didn't actually change, to be honest, with when I got that money, because that wasn't chasing that money wasn't really what I wanted, but it's what I was taught to uh, feel that would bring me that extra happiness, the joy, all the things that we believe money can buy. So at the time, I was working for a big international education company uh, doing business development and marketing. And I had almost, like I said, on paper, this perfect job. I traveled to amazing places in Europe and Asia six months out of the year, right? Uh, although it's not as luxurious as, as we think sometimes with business trips. So, you know, you're traveling a lot, you're alone a lot. Uh, but yes, I got to see some amazing things. And I think the travel bug really bit me too from that job. Um, but it was exhausting. I was working, you know, sometimes 60 hours to 80 hours a week. Uh, to be able to make that sort of money, uh, it requires work. And it was work that was for somebody else. Right. And when I was in, in Russia, this is one of my business trips that last year I was in that job. Um, I did have a bit of a nervous breakdown in, in a hotel room in Moscow uh, on my way to see about eight clients for the day where I don't know what was the jet lag or what was going on. But I had this kind of feeling of, is this it? Like, is this the success that I've been striving for for so long and why am I so unhappy why there must be something wrong with me because everything else was perfect so I Sorry, was I, really can I interrupt there yeah was, it, was mm-hmm. this something that was creeping up on you for a while or was it just I, immediate? yeah I believe so I think it was something that I I kept ignoring because I kept thinking well this is how everybody else is that work really hard you know you're not supposed to sleep all the time you're supposed to kind of keep going like this and I wasn't taking my vacation days every year you know, I yeah. was getting paid out because I was like, oh, I got to pay off my student debt. So I'll just take the two week vacation pay instead of actually going on holiday, you know, <laughs> because, because I thought this is what successful people do. They just keep pushing and they keep climbing up and grinding. You know what I mean? So and just, and just I, to put, add my yeah. perspective, if someone's not familiar, like uh, based on your upbringing, I've been to Malaysia many times and been to Penang many times and, mm. and the Chinese Malaysian families, you know, they're very tight knit and they really yeah. uh, force you to like, you know, really work hard because even in Malaysia, you know, Chinese Malaysians are kind of not like first class citizens, you know, because yes, Malays yes. get Malays get certain advantages and, and right. work and jobs. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like you know they they really really push you to to really work hard and study hard and um and I've noticed that you know you can't really as a Chinese Malaysian you can't really come out into your own you know too mm. much you have to yeah. conform yeah. to these expectations. Totally. I mean, they don't call Chinese moms tiger moms for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I had it. I mean, I love my mom, but she's a tiger mom, you know, because yeah. she was brought up that way. And that's all she knew. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of pressure, you know, so, for, so for someone growing up in like the, the West, like in the U.S., you know, in, in a different family, they might not understand this, like where you were coming from. Um, yeah. So, so I wanted yeah. to add that perspective, you know, like what, what was it was that kind of I don't want to say molded you, but, uh, you know, made you think that this was the path you had to take. And right. Yeah. Was there a moment when you had a realization that that things could be different? Was that when you read uh, Tim Ferriss or what was the 
Well, interestingly enough, I read Tim Ferriss uh, before that breakdown happened, except I didn't connect with it, to be honest, at the time. This is like five, six years ago, you know, when I read the first uh, time I ever read Tim Ferriss' book. And I remember thinking, this is for people who are like, I don't know, programmers and coders and, you know, people who can hack the system and are online based, uh, you know, know how to do, have skill sets that are very tech related. And it's not my cup of tea because I'm, I've always been a service based professional, right? My, my value and my work is all around my, 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 um, uh, very intangible skills, right? Like selling and marketing and, and, um, speaking and things like that. So I didn't really think I could play in that realm, uh, in the Tim Ferriss realm without having kind of tech skills, let's say, for example. So when I read the book, it, it obviously planted the seed for me uh, that there is another life that, I, that, that you can create and it inspired me, but I still didn't really know how I could do it for myself, right? Um, after the breakdown happened, uh, this was also a very tumultuous time for me because at the time, I, as I said, I, I thought I was depressed, Right. That something was wrong with me emotionally to not be grateful for all these things that I had, like the money and the the picket fence home and the car and all the things that I've been working hard for. Uh, So it must be me. That's wrong. So I actually went and saw a therapist and thought, you know, must be me. Nothing's wrong with my life. Um, and, And it wasn't until, you know, I met. Uh, I went on. A, I went on a trip, and I I went to Thailand actually, uh, into to Koh Phangan, and I met somebody uh, that was a bus going on this road trip, uh, and he was kind of the Tim Ferriss fan, and uh, he was service based. You know, he was a marketing strategist and very similar kind of um, background that I had, uh, and he started to kind of tell me his story of how he would make money online and how he would turn his skills to be marketable online, and that planted kind of the second seed for me. You know, of wow, there's a real person that I've met that isn't from a book uh, that can actually make money and and be uh, valued online uh, having intangible skills like mine and he didn't have to be all tech related you know so kind of these little bits of things kind of happened for me um, and then I started to really look at myself instead of getting uh, you know what I call business business pornography of like looking at what everybody else is doing uh, really focused on you know what do I want what skill sets do I even have that I want to keep? Because not every single thing that I've done, I want to do again, you know, and it's just starting to create more boundaries around uh, what I wanted and be, admit to myself, you know, what was the type of work that I really enjoy doing? What, what was a, a real mission for work if I could have it and started to explore that. So my personal growth kind of almost took center stage first before I even went into what business should I create? Right. Because I felt so shitty about myself and so shitty about uh, what I thought that, you know, could I make it on my own? Do I even have anything to offer? So I needed to gain that confidence, gain that mindset shift first before I went to more of the practical planning or creation of, okay, how can I build something that is going to be sustainable? Wow. So the pain was, was strong enough to really motivate you to change everything. Yeah, I think, you know, I believe that all of us, when we have this kind of breakdown that happens in different parts of our lives, you know, whether it's a divorce, uh, marriage breaking up, right, or your relationships or getting fired and all these kind of big milestones of, of negativity sometimes that enter in our lives, I do believe that in every breakthrough, there is, uh, sorry, I mean, every breakdown, there is a breakthrough if you, if you look for it, right? That, that significant event can be your turning point rather than the hurdle that will always haunt you for, for till the end of times. So you can use this breakdown as almost as fresh slate to go, all right, I didn't want to get here. I can't go any lower than this. Um, what is happening? What, what, what am I not getting 
for myself on a personal level that's causing this pain. And interestingly enough, my pain from five years ago in a way gave birth to what my career is now. You know, my solving of my own pain, the going through of my own my own pain now resulted in uh, a meaningful business and career where I get to teach other people and help other people in the same place that I was at five, six years ago. Yeah, that's great. I think I went through the same progression when I wrote my first book. Like I wrote the book that I wish I had, you know, five, yeah. years, five years prior. Totally. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of meaning in our negative experiences if we choose for it to be that way, you know? And, and you also had um, an excuse that holds people back. I call it the secret excuse where, you know, people say, well, that's interesting, but it's not for me. And mm. your, your excuse was, I don't have the technical skills. But I think yeah. that every single person has these, these excuses, whether it's technical skills or whether it's something else, whether it's like I have a relationship or I have kids yeah. or yeah. I already have a job or I don't have time. Mm. Mm. Uh, would you, I think that's the monster that, you know, destroys dreams before they ever have a chance to, to hatch. Well, yeah, I mean, fear, fear is the number one thing that obviously holds us back from doing anything at all in our lives. But most importantly, the stories that we tell ourselves in that fear of what could happen to us if this thing was to, was to come into play, this fear was to show up. You know, we make up the story of what hasn't happened yet and kind of almost paint the picture and solidify that into our minds. And therefore, it's already happened. This bad thing already happened in our minds. So we don't do it because we felt the pain of failing when it hasn't even happened yet. You know, um, and that's what held me back for years, too, because, I mean, before that breakdown, to be honest, I thought about quitting a long time ago. But the reason why I haven't quit, too, was about this fear of money, you know, fear of like, can I do I have anything of value to share? Not underneath the company. Right. You know, am I good enough to do this? I've never owned a business before. Therefore, I cannot. I mean, it's all illogical stuff, but it obviously was the the, the movie playing in my head. And therefore, uh, my own reality was reflecting on you know, this movie that was playing in my head, right? So one of the biggest things that I know that helped me back was this money thing where I thought, okay, well, I've got to make six figures with my business in order to quit, in order to have permission to quit or even think about quitting. And that was really untrue in a way because I didn't know that I needed six figures or not. It was just what I was paid at the time. It didn't mean that I have to make six figures in order to quit, you know? And so that little story, you know, helped me back for years, As you were saying, uh, you were talking about the stories that we tell ourselves and how important they are. And I was thinking of Mark Twain. Uh, he said that, I'm an old man. I've known a great many troubles, most of which have never happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that quote from, by Mark as well. I mean, yeah. it, it's so true, isn't it? The stories we tell ourselves that feel very real okay, to us. Okay, so what's, what's the story that you tell yourself now? And, and how do we activate the power of transformational language in our life? Because I know there's, there's a lot to be said here. Mm. Well, one of the things, and I still continue to do this because, you know, the one thing is that fear never, ever leaves us. It's something that we will always have for the rest of our lives. It just gets better and it just gets better in the way that we communicate with that fear. Uh, so I really realized that it's not about avoiding the fear or, or distracting yourself from the fear because there's a lot of answers and insight in fear. There's, there's clues to what you actually have to be doing next in order to get this fear to be a little bit less angsty, right? So it's to kind of learn how to communicate with that part of you, whether it's the inner critic of who you are, whether it's this inner, inner judge of who you are. And sometimes that inner critic comes in a voice like your mother's, 
you know, because you've been told for so long by certain people in your life that you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do this. So learning to communicate and, and not going shut up and get away from, from my life was the key first thing to acknowledge the fear, right? To go, all right, you're showing up today and you said, I can't do this. All right, let's talk about it. What about this thing scares me? And let that part answer, right? So it might say something like, well, you're not smart enough. Okay, why don't you think I'm smart enough? Well, you don't know this and this and that. Okay, so what, would I, what do you think I need to do to know this and that and this? So you can keep digging with that fear to reveal some answers of what you possibly may need to work on or, or, or understand or gain more clarity around in order for you also deep down to feel comfortable to take that risk or to make a move, right? So I believe that once we start to get good with fear, with not ignoring it, being able to acknowledge it and have a conversation, not, not to agree with it, but just to go, all right, what can we do to feel good about this for the both of us? Right? So it's kind of like if yeah. you ever had a friend that keeps bringing you down, you're not just going to go get away from me. I mean, you, you won't. You would go, why are you saying these things to me? Right? It's kind of the same thing. Question your fear. Mm-hmm. Ask, it, ask it why it, 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 it wants you to remain where you are. And perhaps there's some answers there in going, I need you to get a mentor or I need you to prove to me in some mm-hmm. way that you are good enough. So do something small, right? Don't go full hardy and jump the ship right away, but do something to feed new evidence to that fear, right? Because all it is, is your mind is like a computer. It's very malleable. It's very, very moldable. It's the smartest and stupidest thing you could have, right? Depending on what you feed it. Right. So it's like a computer. Again, you feed a virus it's going to have a virus. If you feed it a antivirus, it's going to start, you know, having better, better things happen in your in your laptop. Right. So your brain's in the, in the same way is, is learning how to speak to yourself in the most positive sense, uh, being more resourceful about solutions rather than just thinking about what you can't do. Think about what you can do instead um, and, and learning to communicate with it in a healthy and, and um, you know, way where where you can you can actually uh engage with it you know and learn what conditions and boundaries you have to set for yourself in order for this fear to feel better for you to make one little move yeah that's great you you just dropped so many knowledge bombs in the span of about 60 seconds right there um (laughs) it was like a stream of consciousness (laughs) (laughs) no no so the first the first one i took from that is is um you you come face to face with the fear you break it down um, mm. When the fear is really abstract is when it's worse. But you say, why am yes. I afraid? You, you ask why. And then it says, well, because there's a very specific reason. And when you have a specific reason, you can act on that. Yes. And the second takeaway I took is that um, problems have solutions. And you need to let mm. the brain find them. And you mentioned uh, finding a mentor. So I also think that every opportunity starts out as a problem. It's disguised mm-hmm. as a problem. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and everything is, you know, I think Marie Forleo said this, is everything is figureoutable, right? If you, <laughs> if, you, if you choose for your mind to kind of see different perspective. And that's a huge thing that I've learned in my, you know, five-year journey of, of owning two businesses is there's always a way. Maybe you don't see it today, but that doesn't mean that you should shut the door, right? Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not tomorrow. But at least have the attitude and, and the, the desire to want to see other doors and just saying that to yourself and going, don't know what it is today, but I know I trust is figure outable. I trust that I'm going to meet someone. I trust that I'm going to read something. I trust that something's going to come into my vicinity where it's going to allow me to think differently about this problem. 
right? The problem will always exist, but I think it's how we look at it and, and, and make it mean something to us uh, will then allow our kind of lenses to expand, you know, to, to look for solutions rather than a dead end. Yes, I, I love that. And I think that, speaking for myself, I think I've kind of transformed in how I approach fear. Like, it doesn't, when I was younger, you know, the fear was more abstract. It was more pervasive. It was more embedded mm. into who I was. Like, I felt like mm-hmm. the, the fear was more like, I'm not good looking enough, or I'm not handsome enough, or I'm not tall sure. enough. But now it's like fear is, is more specific. Like, mm. um, you know, like, oh, I don't have enough customers yet, or my mailing list isn't big enough yet. But if, if it's more specific, then I can, I can act on that. It's not so much as who I am, but something external. And I think that when the fear is related to something internal, that's, mm. that's when it's the worst. It is, yeah, because it's all these conditionings, right, of what how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about our role in the world based on everything we've gone through in life, right? Um, but I do believe that every there's every minute and every moment in, in a day to, to change it all around and, and uh, you know, having the right people around you too to help bring out your best value and help encourage you is very, very um, beneficial, for anyone starting a transition in life, you know, because we don't have to do this alone. And I think that's also a second thing that I really learned is that entrepreneurship doesn't have to be a lonely road. Yes, you are working on your own, you're creating your own stuff, but it doesn't mean that you have to um, be by yourself all the time. Even if you're not physically with people, we live in a world where, where it's a social world right now, you know, everybody and their dog is on Facebook and um, to f- able to have access to people globally is so much more, so much easier now. So all you have to do is ask. If you don't know how to do something, ask and search for it. Ask somebody who's done the thing that you want to do, you know, pick the brain of someone who inspires you and is living life the way that you imagine your life to be. All you have to do is shoot them a message or ask to be introduced or, you know, make make that opportunity for yourself instead of waiting for someone to come to you and tell you the answer. You know, be resourceful to find your answers so that you can move on with the next thing that calls to you. Excellent. So I know one way that you do that is um, you have a, a Facebook group, uh, the Unconventionalist, mm-hmm. right? Is that is that a place where people can come and uh, yes. sh- share what they're they're struggling with and get answers? Yeah, I wanted to start this group because it wasn't, you know, I belong to a lot of entrepreneur groups where uh, it's very beneficial for me to learn new online marketing strategies and how people are creating stuff and making money online, which is awesome. Uh, But one of the places that I felt was missing was almost this vulnerable, transparent place where people could share their fears and uh, where people can also, you know, help each other out. I I really believe in collaboration and being able to to share knowledge because all of us are going through the same types of problems anyway as new entrepreneurs or uh, people that are doing unconventional work. Uh, why not have a space where people can can share that? It doesn't have to be even business related, right? It could be about um, having an identity crisis, you know, after quitting your job uh, and and knowing where should I start, what books should I read, how can I make this problem uh, less painful for myself? And there's got to be other people that have experienced what you've done. You know, and this space is really for people to uh, help each other out, keep each other, uh, each other's eyes on the prize, and also celebrate small wins. Because I don't want people to wait until they sell their first six, you know, six-figure product or make their first ten thousand dollars. It's all about the little wins that will help someone else, you know, believe that this is also possible for them. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there's so many people that will come out and they'll congratulate you when you're successful, but. Uh, it's like you, you struggled so long, you know, for so many months or, or years to get to that success. 
and they, mm. they never even know about that or totally or yeah. even care about that you know yeah, yeah. And, and I think we should, you know, you should, we should be responsible and being accountable for being uh, transparent about the way that we make money or the way that we define success, because um, then we can connect better with everyday people that are fearing these little bits of things that we kind of, you know, don't share because we, we don't think people want to hear it. But actually, I do, I do think people want to hear it because it makes you real. It makes this more accessible to them where they, they can be, they're allowed to make mistakes as well because you've made your mistakes. But it doesn't mean you can't make that, that, that dollar or whatever, that success for yourself. But, but be transparent about the journey so that people can learn from yours uh, and also respect you uh, from, for being authentic. You know, and I think that's a required thing for for any sort of people based business these days is authenticity, you know, to be yourself, share your ups and your downs uh, in order to get a tribe of people following what you do. And I think that's something that you do really well is that you come across as very authentic. Like if you look at your website, um, I don't know what it is, but I think I think people get a good feeling like there's someone that understands them, you know, when they when they see your website and. Uh, we were talking about this before the call. Like I was talking about uh, Dan Norris, whom I also interviewed on this podcast, author of Seven Day Startup, and mm. you know, he, he's very, you know, no BS. Like, you know, this is what this is the actionable tip that you can apply to your business, and boom, boom, boom. Like he'll just list those out. But but you focus yeah. more on like you have a lot of uh, focus a lot of emotional intelligence. Like you focus on the feelings and the the journey that people are, are taking. And, and like I'm just looking at your website. Like look, these are your bullets, right? So. You're thinking of giving the middle finger to your cubicle, so that that's that right there. That's such an emotionally charged moment, or, you know, moment right. in person's <laughs> life right there. And then the next one is you're multi-passionate about. You're multi-passionate, so you're, now you're focusing on passions, and you're just really kind of getting inside of the person's head, you yeah. know, with with everything that all of your language. So how do you get so good at that? You know, like um, connecting with people on a human level and and being real. Like even every video you write, every post you write. I'm sorry, every video you produce, every post you write, you, you really mm. feel like, like, I, I feel like I know you. Like, I know Lydia. She's like um, an older sister or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I really try to write and produce things that how I would usually say it. So when people meet me in real life, they're not like, oh, it doesn't sound like you at all, you know. And again, this authenticity thing is important to me. And everyone's got a different definition for authenticity. But for me on a personal level, how I define it is, you know, being honest and, and saying things the way that I want to say them, even if it pisses people off or trigger people. But it's the thing that I want to say. Um, I believe all of us you know, are emotional beings, you know, we come with a heart and we come with a brain. The heart is the first indicator of, of emotion that, that, that motivates you to do anything at all. And then the brain is the kind of, you know, um, the master at getting shit, uh, to, to happen, right? The movement, right? Getting you to, to make the step and, and think of plans and strategy and all that. But I think both pieces have to come into play. The heart comes first to motivate you and to give you the GPS of where to go. And then the brain starts to carve out the real action in real life of what to do. So I, I really am a huge believer that marketing, you know, when we think about marketing, marketing is a conversation. It's a conversation with the people that you want to help. So you have to start making those conversations uh, instead of just relying on your ads or relying on automated systems sometimes to do that for you. Yes, I'm a huge believer in leveraging and obviously having systems in your business, but your weekly, daily, you know, efforts can sometimes be as simple as posing a question, engaging people in that pain that you believe they're in and asking them to explain that to you. 
what is going on in their world that you can you have to relate to because if you're an expert in the thing that you say you do in your work you're ahead of the curve right you're five years down the road you're two years down the road whatever it is it's kind of like you're the fourth grader teaching the third grade or something now you can't go in fourth grade mode and start to talk about how life looks like here don't you want to come here i mean yeah they do but they want you to recognize where they are at Right. So so we have to kind of go backwards and go, what does your world look like and how can I explain this to you in words and and in a perspective that you're going to digest properly? And I really do 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 feel that's important. And I I, I do a lot of work. That's why I come up with this group. I'm in this group every single day. I get on the phone and I talk to people in real life. I organize webinars where I get to answer lots of questions and record the way people speak and the way they describe their problem so that I'm not only just using my words and, and any jargon, I'm, I'm trying to meet my clients where they're at so that we can both connect with each other and they're going to understand that I get them. Excellent. And another guest on this podcast uh, put it a, a great way where he said, uh, Sean D'Souza, I don't know if you've heard of Sean D'Souza, but uh, mm. he, he, he thinks of every client as, and I think he gave this definition of a client is, Someone who's under your care, guidance, and protection. Yeah. So he's basically like, and he described it, he's, he's taking the role of like a karate teacher helping someone go from <laughs> white belt all the way to yeah. yellow belt to green belt to black belt. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a journey, isn't it? You know, our work, yeah. uh, we, we can meet people at different parts of their journey. They might be a full beginner. Sometimes they're right in stage two. Uh, so being able to kind of understand what's going on in, in your customer's head uh, is important because languaging uh, is, is, as you said, it has an emotional trigger, which then causes people to connect with you or not, right? And, and also languaging is so important in your homepages and your work with me pages because, if people get you and they share similar languaging or they share the approach that you have, whether you're a blunt person or whether you're humorous or whether you're, you know, uh, you know, basically someone that tells it like it is, whatever your style is, if they don't resonate with that, they're going to leave your website. And that's okay because they're going to filter themselves out anyway. So I'm a huge believer in being yourself in all ways possible. You know, so if you want to say the F word, do it. If you, you know, don't want to say that, don't do it, but don't be someone you're not because people can smell a fraud from a mile away, you know, and that's, you know, they're not even going to click next because you're not being yourself and you can recognize that very, very quickly in all your products and all your marketing, uh, you know, stuff that you put online. So say how you want, you know, write how you want to, what you usually do when you speak and film those videos without a script. Sometimes it could help because you're just going to be yourself and not forced to conform. Uh, and, and that's really going to, I think, uh, get the right people that are meant for you into, into your business. Great. And you mentioned a couple of tips. You, you started a social media group where you can talk to uh, your, your readers and your followers and get inside their head and see what conversations are taking place. And you also mentioned doing video, uh, which is, I think mm. is really personal too. Uh, so there's two really good tips there. But I, I think that a lot of people, you know, are, like we said earlier, there's probably people listening to this and saying, well, that's not for me. You know, yeah. just, like, just like you said, it's not for me when you read Tim Ferriss' book. Because I think that, that's right. you know, pe- being personal in our business is not something that we usually focus on. You know, people are, are listening to these interviews thinking about how do I build my SEO traffic or, mm. you know, how do I build my Instagram following or my Pinterest following. And yeah. they don't, they kind of gloss over bringing that personal aspect because it's not something that we feel we're not taught belongs in business. And I think it's a little bit yeah. scary, but it's also very powerful. 
Absolutely. And I think one of the mistakes we usually make when we start we start something new or start a new business is we try to copy what's, what is selling out there or what's the next best thing. Is it Periscope? Is it Blab? Is it this and that? And there's so many tools online that are amazing and all of them can work, but you've got to figure out what works for your personality and your style of your approach. So I always try to teach people and and I try to own in on my own as well is really operate from what I call your genius zone, right? Only focus on the skills that you are strongest at and understanding these fundamentals of your best value of solving things for people, right? And utilize those skills only and don't do anything else you don't want to do because it'll just kind of screw up your themes and screw up your style. Focus on your best way of delivering stuff, right? That other people have already acknowledged you for. A second thing is understanding how you connect with people. You're right. Not everyone should be on video. If you're not a video person or you're not someone that's comfortable uh, at this very moment to be on camera, don't do that just yet. Focus again on your best way of delivering and influencing in how naturally you do it. So some people are better writers than others. Some people are better on audio, right? Some people are better at teaching and able to create a courses style kind of teachings versus video-based stuff. So figure out how you like to deliver information, you know, how your way of influence is, and then you can pick kind of the right platforms that allow you to shine uh, brighter in a way. Yeah, that's great. So don't, if you're a writer, for example, and you hear someone, you know, making seven figures with Amazon, fulfillment by Amazon or something like that, but you're not not passionate about it. If you're getting into it just because uh, someone else is doing well, that's that's not the right way to go. Yeah, totally. It's got to, it's got to be something you have fun doing and it comes easy and natural for you. Um, it can be challenging, but if it still feel like you're in the flow, you know, like you're in your zone where you're like, wow, I really like doing this. Like I, I it takes me no, you know, not, not a lot of time to write this, or it takes me not a lot of time to record a video, then that may be your, your, your platform of choice. And then build that platform as strong as you can before jumping into kind of multiple platforms, right? Because you'll get overwhelmed and distracted. So get really good at kind of one platform first, and then you can build it out as you recognize how you deliver things naturally. Okay, so tell me, walk me through uh, your genius zone using yourself as a case study or example. When you started out, Mm -hmm. um, you're like, well, I don't have the technical skills, but when you quit your job, um, Mm -hmm. you had a marketing background. So how did you start out? um, Were you doing marketing consulting? And then how has that evolved? How have you built this uh, Screw the Cubicle brand piece by piece? So Screw the Cubicle wasn't actually my first business. It was almost an accidental business for me. The first business that I the first business that I created was actually what I call a transition business, which is my old uh, skill sets in my last corporate job. So as I mentioned, I worked for international education. I was in charge of uh, business development, so sales, right, and marketing and, and presenting. So I used to uh, go to trade shows and uh, work with the embassy of Canada, let's say, and, and, and talk about education in Canada. So I knew already I was very good at presenting, right, being in front of people on a live sort of platform. Um, so I kind of created my own agency, in the beginning, my first business was this agency that 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 would send um, students and individuals from foreign countries to come learn English in Canada or do a work and study program in Canada. So that was my first business, uh, and I was really good at it, and I didn't make money from it, which allowed me to quit my job. But it didn't particularly feel meaningful to me. It was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. I do this, some of the stuff I like, but it wasn't still Lydia's thing. Right. And so I started 
Screw the Cubicle started as a blog, actually, to document my own personal journey of, you know, when you remove the mask of your corporate mask, what happens, what reveals itself. And it was really just a place for me to share my thoughts to myself and, and to friends and family that wonder why did I quit my six-figure job, you know, and send them there. Um, and from that space of just excitingly writing my journey, I started getting, you know, people reading it and going, can I pick your brain over coffee? Can I just, you know, ask you a few questions over dinner? Uh, and I started to go to these meetings and enjoyed my interaction with these people and really helping for free and just wanting to see other people, um, to see other possibilities for their lives. And I, I, I started to experiment with how can I help? Uh, was it a plan that I help them with? Do I, is it a, a, an emotional support? Uh, what types of things do these people need uh, to help them transition from employee to an entrepreneur environment? And so I did that almost, basically I took on, took on kind of beta clients uh, for free, uh, you know, for the, for the first three months to experiment with my style and experiment with where in this work that I enjoy. And, and that kind of helped me stumble upon coaching and, and helping using my, my, my skills from my previous corporate jobs, which is, you know, solving problems, creating plans, creating action, creating timelines for things. And, and obviously, um, getting people to do the things they don't want to do in order to get the things that they want to have. Right. That's what sales is in a way, right. You know, anyway, so I still kind of use my old skills, uh, but now focus them towards something that I actually believe in, which is personal freedom for everybody. Uh, and, and just started doing it on a, on a, on an experimental level. As long as you have that powerful vision, that uh, mission that's driving you, then it, it makes those uh, down periods worth it. I think. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I didn't realize at the time because it just started off as a blog that this was, could be monetizable because I wasn't thinking about money at that point about screw the cubicle. I was literally just thinking about giving. Right. But that's interesting, isn't it? Is that when you actually look at, you know, put money aside for a minute and let's say you are going to get paid and you don't have to worry about money. How would you like to work? What types of people do you want to help? What is this bigger thing in the world that you want to help solve that you have either solved for yourself or have this belief that everybody should know about it, right? Then you can kind of reverse engineer from that mission and go, how can I use my skill sets, my best skill sets to help in this realm, right? And that's kind of how, I, how Screw the Cubicle was born was, was big mission first. I believe everyone should have personal freedom, very basic, right? Simple, simple statement. And okay, what can I use with my current tool belt of skills that Lydia is equipped with today to help people get to this space, right? Where should I come in? Well, I come in where I'm ready. So I started my first business. I've quit my job. So this is the, the stage I help in. I'm not teaching people how to make million dollar businesses or six figure businesses. I'm starting with this jumpstart stage, which is just giving people courage, you know, giving people an alternative way to look at the world and to look at solutions so that they can, they can gain th this first step of freedom for their lives. Yeah, because we get stuck in one mode and then we don't consider uh, other points of view and other avenues, different ways of doing things. And I, I think that for me, when I, when I traveled, when I, when I got out of my usual routine, that, that really opened up my eyes that there are different ways of living and different ways of doing things. Yeah. Travel has been my number one education because, you know, travel brings you to places that you're not comfortable. It, 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 you know, challenges you to make new friends. It challenges you to find information about mm -hmm. things that, uh, 
you're in a foreign country and you have to, in a way, you know, understand culture and understand a different way of operating to to get something, right? You know that by by traveling Asia, especially, it can be quite a culture shock at certain areas. Uh, but but that's also taught me of, of how resilient I can be, um, how to ask better questions uh, and how to solve problems without you know, shitting myself, <laughs> that, that, that everything is, yeah. you know, every, there's a solution. Someone can help you. Just, you just need to look for it and, and be resourceful. Right. So, so travels really helped me even with entrepreneurship. Yeah. I agree with that because maybe more resourceful. It's made me a better entrepreneur, made me smarter and, and able to understand uh, life better and situations. And cause you know, when I'm living at home and I have a comfortable condo, I've never had to ask someone if I can crash on their couch, for example, because I have a place <laughs> right. to sleep in, you know, yeah. Vancouver or wherever I am. And, um, and, and just, just like it forces you to, to do mm. things that you might not normally do that you might not have a need to do. And, um, you become so much wiser, stronger, and, and you get into the habit of being able to ask for the things you want and going after them. I think. Yeah, totally. It's really helped taught me patience as well, because as you know, living in Asia, everything's very slow and, and protocol sometimes, or, you know, there's no, there's, some, there's initiative issues sometimes in certain cultures. Uh, it's really taught me to understand people better based on their background, based on their, their own life experience and not take things personally. And also to, 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 to admit that my way isn't always the best way and to be open you know, to learning from different people that everyone has a story to share. Everyone has a way of going through life where you can learn from and take as your own. And so it's, it's just really helped me um, get other humans a bit better using travel. Okay. And so you do also, um, we're talking about getting other humans. You, you do one-on-one consulting, right? How many consulting clients have you worked with uh, so far? Quite a bit in the last five years. Uh, most of my um, coaching clients are, are long-term, except for things are changing this year to be a, a bit more. I'm going to create more courses this year to service people that, let's say, can't afford to work with me one-on-one. But most of my coaching clients on a, on a private basis would stay with me anywhere from three to six months uh, because it's such a journey, right, to get mm. them to quit their jobs. Uh, so because of these long-term clients, I don't take on as many clients uh, usually because I, I, I almost kind of price accordingly to a longer relationship and also I can give more attention to it. Uh, so on average, I would say, you know, every year I would take on about, let's say 10 to 15 private clients, right. For three to six months. Um, and then I would also work with people on workshop basis or a retreat basis, uh, or group work, for example, online, which I can take on more people at the same time. Uh, and then again, price accordingly to, um, a shared experience rather than a private one. Um, so, so intimacy is really my theme. I, I, I don't really, I'm not someone that wants to be like a Tony Robbins, you know, that wants to be in an in a, in a arena full of people. I actually, like, believe it or not, even though I, I am quite, um, an extrovert, um, I am way better with small groups or one-on-one. That's when I do my best work because I really take the time to understand where people are coming from and, and tailor, um, the style and approach and what I say to them, uh, in a way that would mean something for them, you know, when I can get to know them. So, I enjoy the intimacy and I think I've really designed my programs to have this intimacy environment, which also selfishly feeds into, you know, my style, right? Which is, again, my genius zone. Okay. So we touched on some of the things that um, you teach. Uh, can, can I just go through those and, and some things we touched on? Yeah. In this interview? Um, one, you, you help people to find their genius zone, which you describe as their best skills and their strengths 
the, the way that they can provide value, um, to find the best ways that they can connect with people, um, not just in a business conversation, but also in a human way, on a personal level. Um, yeah, they're natural ways of communication. Right, exactly. Yeah, natural ways, exactly. And, and then also um, tie what you're doing to impact and something that's meaningful yeah. and purposeful and actually creating value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything I've missed there? Or is there anything else that you want to add to that? that, that uh, well, I also, you know, because people look at my life and they go, uh, you know, I, I've done a few webinars and uh, blogs about um, some some alternative ways to uh, relieve pressure from your first year of business, right? Because as you know, the first and second year of business is crucial uh, in terms of like maintaining your sanity and maintaining your finances to support your your business going forward. Because there's so much things to learn, right, in the beginning that you're gonna screw up. Right. Things aren't going to work out perfectly as planned. Uh, and how can we kind of make this experience uh, a little bit better for ourselves? So obviously, one of the things I'm a huge advocate for is um, travel and living abroad versus living in the first world. Right. Because I know how expensive it can be, how much pressure financially it can be for ourselves uh, to be in a place like where I was from, like Vancouver. Right. Um Whereas now I, I, I try to motivate people to go, have you thought about places like Bali, you know, or Chiang Mai, uh, other places where other people just like you are living and working from, but you are living a lifestyle that's gonna not might not cost you more than a thousand bucks a month. Right. So I, I also kind of help people uh, transition their lives uh, to start planning for a lifestyle that may not be where they're at right now and how to make that transition, how to make those changes um, and, and how to sort things out before you leave your home country. Uh, and and what, how can you set up your systems to be online based and be able to live and work in a foreign country? Yeah, that's great. So using geo arbitrage to bootstrap. Yeah, or at least, love at least that. Being able <laughs> Being able to to plan uh, financially, uh, yeah, yeah. Buy yourself time to learn slowly, yeah. and make and, and make make mistakes and experiment with your business uh, instead of this pressure of like, oh my god, I got to get first ten clients just to make my rent, you know, mm-hmm. in New York or wherever. Whereas like, okay, at a thousand dollars a month to live in Bali, like that's way more affordable and and way more feasible for your first year of business because you're, you're you can save up some money, you know, before before you take that leap, uh, maybe save up enough for six months of living expenses in a place like Bali, uh, and then be able to kind of focus on your business in a more holistic and more organic way and not, and not pressure yourself to just like make money quickly when, when you should be, you know, in creation mode or, or, um, you want to take some time to really figure out where you lie in your skill sets. This this is such an interesting topic. I'm really curious about where the future is going to go in in terms of, um, you know, remote work and, and working from Bali or, or Thailand. Like, I just, I don't know if you, you know Buffer, right? The, the company Buffer? Yes. I, I just recently, um, there was a post about their updated salary formula, basically telling how much you would work, how much you would earn if you worked for Buffer. And um, basically, it was really interesting. So they have a distributed team, but for a back-end developer at a master level, um, the, the salary varies between 82000 to 155000 depending on where you live. And mm. so they're, they're actually paying employees differently based on the cost of living uh, where they're at. So for, so for example, they're, they're arguing that, um, you know, Sophia and Anna might be equally talented, but $1 in San Francisco is not worth as much as $1 mm. in Chiang Mai, for example. Right. And, and it's, it's really interesting that that's the, the one, you know, basis that determines the salaries is where they choose to live. And 
I'm really curious, like where this is going to go, because this this is actually this is obviously um, you know growing and it's it's exploding at an exponential rate. This remote work and um, you know nomadism, just being able mm. to work virtually. What, yeah. What do you think? Well, you know, I I think that remote work is great because it's, again, this alternative option to a nine to five, where is a, is a softer transition. You know, you, you're still getting paid as an employee. You have a bit of security, but maybe some flexibility in, in your lifestyle, right? Because sometimes some people, uh, you know, like if you want to be at the beach all, all, all day or lead a more healthy lifestyle to be in a yoga community, um, you can move yourself accordingly, right? To the lifestyle of your choice. So that's great that, that there's options out there. Um, the whole thing about being paid where you're located, I mean, to be honest, like I don't know if that's completely fair because you could be a very educated uh, programmer, let's say, or have a lot of experience. But just because you choose to be based in in Chiang Mai, let's say, and to be paid for where you live, that may not be. Um, uh, I don't know if that's quite fair, and, and that's probably why I'm a huge motivator of people creating their own. Uh, freelancing or consulting uh, company or creating your own business because then you get to choose how much you want to get paid, right? So as long as you're doing the work and the value of your work reflects of what you charge, then it's fair. Who cares where you're located in that sense, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the first time I've actually heard that. So that's interesting uh, <laughs> that, that that buffer is paying according to location. But then could you trick buffer <laughs> in a way? Could you, you know, set up yeah. a VPN and, and, you know, say that you're working from Spain or like London or wherever, but actually be in Thailand, you know, and just like send your emails uh, in the time zone that's appropriate? You know, there's tools for that now, right? Yeah. Um, you can, there, there, was I do that. there was a whole discussion I saw on it uh, taking place in a digital nomad group on this, and I was just curious to you, get your take on it, and I, I, I kind of knew what your answer would be before that. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're working for the, the man, you know, create yeah. your own business. I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, you, that would be a great start to, like, as I said, the soft transition. You're still getting paid. There's some security, um, and maybe use that time to also create something that you can do on your own so that you have more control over your earning. You can have more control over the clients that you're taking. Right. So like my clients are all from the first world. Right. Very rarely I take anyone that's from here Um, and they're going to pay me according to my rate, which is U.S. dollars. Right. But I get to keep more of that money because I have my own business. I choose places I want to live in that cost less. Right. So I get to make more money in a way uh, because of my living expenses. And I think that is that freedom of choice. If you're able to figure out a way to make money in U.S. dollars and live on Indonesian rupias and outsource in Filipino pesos, then you've got a good thing going. You know, it's, it's kind of being yeah. strategic about the way you make money, but also strategic about the way that you can save more money uh, uh, by choosing where you live. And, and being methodical and smart about it. Totally, yeah, totally. Right. And oh, internet, is, internet's oh, available now, right, around the world. So all the more that this sort of lifestyle and this sort of online business is so much more realistic these days because people do buy online. People uh, don't mind that you're not in front of them, right? They almost prefer it so that they can also be at home while they work with you. So the times have changed. The opportunities have grown for us to now be able to transfer our skills to be marketable online and still make the, the type of money that we can make in the first world. Yeah, and you mentioned one reason that uh, you're methodical about that when you quit your job is that um, you're going to slip and have mishaps happen along the way. And um, yeah. I, was, I was talking to Travis Sherry on this podcast, and you know he was he was in Japan where he's working and he was blogging for kind of like you, like for a year or two years, and people loved his blog, but he wasn't making any money with it. And yeah. finally, he had a mentor say to him, like, "Do not write a single blog post until you found a way to make money from it." Yeah, and um, he's like, "Well, but but." 
I'm used to giving away content for free, and, and, and it's like, well, do you want to have to go back to, you know, crawl back to corporate America in three months? And he's like, no, <laughs> I, I don't want to do that, so I, I better figure this out. Yeah. Well, what are some, I want to ask you, though, like, uh, give me some you know, personal experiences. Where did you slip up along the way in those first year or two, and how did you solve your problem? Well, I, I, I slipped up. Uh, one of the things about money, I mean, money's the number one topic, right? Like that we are most fearful about at all times. And, and let me tell you, I'm still in that mode sometimes, right? As I said, I'm still unlearning, unlearning a lot of the things of my own culture, my own bring up uh, to face money in a healthier way. Uh, and I was kind of in the same boat of giving stuff away for free all the time and not valuing myself, right? And, and expecting other people to value me. So first of all, is understanding like for myself that the work that I do is not even about the how, but it's the result that the transformation that I'm providing people, what, how is that valued to that person, you know, to, to be able to, to think about life differently, to be able to be motivated in a different direction that allows them to have more joy and happiness. What dollar figure could you put on that? You know? So I had to first learn to value myself my own skill sets, the, the, the results that I'm, uh, that I'm giving that could be intangible and, and isn't practical sometimes. It's just a way they feel about themselves or um, a mindset shift. You know, I had to really turn my own mindset to, to, to accept that the work that I do, as intangible as it can be sometimes, is valuable for other people because if it has been valuable for me and it's changed my life, I have to trust that it would do the same for other people that are willing to listen to me. Um, and, and charge according to, you know, your, your experience, right? My first year of business coaching is completely different price point of what I charge today based on what I've developed in my skill set and based on my knowledge about how to do things quicker or more efficiently, uh, from doing it to my own business, right? Value myself, uh, for those, those pieces of information that I've gathered along the way. Um, and the second challenge that I've really been able that I think have kind of expanded, as you said, said before the call, like I've been really busy this year, you know, doing lots of different things. Uh, and it's because this year was the year that I made this kind of affirmation to myself that to show up before I'm perfect, once I have an idea about something, once I want to try something new, not to let too much time pass because I'm going to talk myself out of it, you know, but just do something small that, that honors that decision or honors that idea. So, for example, webinars was one thing that I started this year that I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I, I've never done this before. I don't know the tech stuff related to this. Like, I have to buy all these products, blah, 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 and really started, like, going course after course after course before just doing it you know, and not allowing myself to screw up. And when I first did my first webinar, honestly, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be. All I had to do was just talk the way that I usually talk, give value, right? Listen and share honest, transparent stories. And that was it. I didn't have to really be like other people to run these kind of money-making webinars, but just starting it, you know, allowed me to go, all right, I'm able to do it. I can improve it the second time. And so this whole idea of like showing up before I'm perfect and just showing up consistently as much as I can without being perfect has really helped me um, really put more out there and hence getting more back from people that see my videos or watch my webinars and, and then paying me to help them out, right? Excellent. So even though you were taking this unknown factor, this unknown variable with webinars, you, you still brought yourself and what you were familiar with. You brought your strengths to the webinar. You shared mm -hmm. transparent stories and you know, did what you did best and, and it worked out well. Yeah. The only time that I felt pressure was when I felt, okay, how am I going to sell them something on this webinar? <laughs> well, you know, okay, maybe you don't have to sell them anything at all in your webinar. 
Maybe your first one is all about telling your story. Maybe it's all about sharing the fears, sharing some some tips about how to get over this initial state of fear, you know, that keeps you trapped in your job. And just start with a simple topic, a topic that I can talk about like the back, you know, like I talk about all the time, a topic that isn't going to feel very pressuring and don't sell anything. You know, so and that way it got me to do my first webinar because I didn't have this kind of expectation of like, I have to make money from this first thing I do, you know. And then later on, once I kind of got more at ease about presenting on a webinar, then I could add on kind of additional challenges like, okay, how can I, what can I do to kind of lead people to go, I can help them after the webinar, you know, so that it doesn't appear salesy. What can I experiment with about the the way that I can say this? kind of give away something first and then funnel them into a paid product, right? So experiment with different ways. But in order for me to know those experiments or even see if they can work is first I have to do it and start, right? Go with good enough. Start before you're ready and figure out, figure it out. That's the only way to learn. Excellent. And yeah, I, I agree that, you know, just asking people for money can be scary in itself. And, and you're like, well, what if they say no, or they think right. it's not worth it, but you know, you, you just have to try, you know, even if, if you're not sure whether it's yeah. or not. Well, totally, because you not, you know, if we keep just saying that, not doing anything, then nothing changes if nothing changes, right? <laughs> we, can't, we can't blame uh, reality and go, why didn't this work for me? Well, you didn't do anything to change that, that scenario for yourself. Uh, so it's okay to screw up. It's okay to not have someone buy something that you're selling. Uh, just use that as an opportunity to go, why didn't that work? How could I improve this process? And just keep getting out there because nobody even realizes you screwed up. Nobody cares. They care about you showing up and they care about how often are you giving value and, and, and like I said, consistency. So my YouTube channel, you know, for the beginning, I was like, I don't even know how to market this thing. Uh, but I, all I did was just kept doing what I do best, which is giving value, right? Solving problems and being myself. And then eventually, you know, people started to watch them. People started to recommend them. And then all of a sudden, a big media company found me from Australia from my videos and offered me to host a web TV show from that right? That's launching next year. So you just never know where these little things can lead you. But you, your only job is to be responsible for showing up. Everything else that will happen to you will happen based on that first decision. That's, that, even that, that stuff's out of your control. But you got to show up. And that's your only job. Wow, that, that's excellent. That, that's a great one to, to cap this interview off with. <laughs> <laughs> just, just show up. And you, you gave me a great uh, quote there. Uh, which I'm, I'll use for this this interview, but um, I, that's it. I think you know, and, and I'm, I'm in the exact same spot with you. I, I think that I, I just want to, uh, you know, I have my my mission. I have my message. I just need to put it out there, and you know, people will find it if they if they resonate with that. Great, I would love to have them, and if not, that's okay too. But absolutely, that's all it is, really. Absolutely. And that's all you can do. And you just have to trust that your work is going to is going to connect with the right people and they will help you support your work. Right. And and um, as long as you're, you're being true to what you believe in and you stand true to this solving of problems and, and being of value to people, you know, why wouldn't people want to hear what you're talking about as long as it's coming from a place of of honesty and transparency? Well, thank you so much, Lydia, for having the courage to do what you do and uh, be true to yourself and share that with the world. I think it's uh, great work that you're doing. Anything, thank you. Yeah, anything you wanted to, to leave us with or anything that you wanted to recommend to, to people to get more information from you? 
Yeah, um, a great place. I mean, a lot of people that are probably listening to this podcast are either, uh, you know, corporate escapees or soon to be corporate escapees or want to be corporate escapees. Um, I understand this kind of fear that can happen uh, from this place of, uh, you know, kind of almost giving up everything you thought you knew about your life. Uh, and support is is important uh, during these times of transition. So obviously you've mentioned it. Uh, I do have a group called the Unconventionalists that is literally like almost this AA meeting for corporate uh, prisoners <laughs> that are, are now kind of in this new life of creation. Uh, so this is a place that you can find other people just like you. And if you visit my website on Screw the cubicle.com. There's an upper bar that leads you straight to the Facebook page uh, that is absolutely free. I'm in there all day, every day, and people can pick my brain on stuff. I'm happy to help. Um, and I guess the second thing that they can start with if they're in this beginning journey of figuring out what am I good at? You know, what could I really be valued for uh, that's outside of this job that I have right now? What can I create as a business? Um, they can start by taking a free course that I have on my website called uh, What the F Am I Meant to Do With My Life? <laughs> Which covers... Uh, uh, all the genius zone stuff that we talked about uh, in this podcast, and they can start to develop more insights and awareness around their skills, uh, the way that they connect and how they influence people, and start from that place of brainstorming uh, their, from their genius zone uh, about you know ideas that they can have about business, and, and and they can start from there. Thank you so much. So go to screwthecubicle.com, and uh, you'll find a link to that Facebook group and the. WTF am I meant to do with my life ebook? Yes. And find the inner genius in you. Yep, absolutely. And create the life that you desire. So, well, thank you again, Lydia. This was a great conversation and um, just, just packed with, you dropped so many knowledge bombs, like I said. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just thank you yeah. for being so, um, you know, outgoing and engaging and, uh, and honest and vulnerable as well. Oh, thank you, Danny. It was lovely to talk to you. And honestly, I love meeting people like you that are like I said, in this kind of mission to help people see things differently in the world and to shift perspective, you know, of, of that all of us um, have access to this freedom, especially a lot of us in the first world, we have choices and we should be able to utilize these choices more um, than some other people in the world. 75% of other people do not have these sorts of choices. So we should really take, take it head on and uh, try to make something about, uh, about our lives. And I'm so glad that you're in the same mission of work. So I'm really happy to connect with you. Thank you, Lydia. It's been great. Thanks, Danny.